Good to see you today. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of James. You'll find it towards the back of your Bible after Hebrews and before 1 Peter. We're in our 16th week of our sermon series through this short but potent letter found in the New Testament. God has ordained for us to know his holy word, to study it, to uh, have life uh, come about as a result of hearing it. For those who he would ordain to repent of sin and trust him with their lives, to be saved, to forever know him, um, enjoy him. What a joy it is to be together if you're new or visiting us today, we welcome you to Disciples Church, the awesome journey that God has us on in our 129th year as a church here in Bakersfield. I got to pray for the city council this last week, and Mayor Go sent her encouragement and love for our congregation and got to share in the council quarters there our rich history. It goes back to the, the little house in the prairie days, the late 1800s and horse and buggy moving about. Um, but God's doing a great thing. We're here in our 16th week of our new campus and excited about all that God's doing. Great to have you here. I look forward to meeting you if I haven't yet. Uh, we're entering into chapter 3 today. I'll be preaching on chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 today in a sermon that I've entitled Faith and Words, Part 1. This will be the first part of two parts uh, as James takes a good chunk of the early part of chapter 3. Uh, to deal with our words. But how have we, what have we seen yet far uh, in James' letter? We've heard an overwhelming emphasis that true believers in Jesus Christ who have been given new spiritual birth by the Word of God, as we read in James 1.18, will show evidence of that new life in the way they live. As we saw in chapter 1, true faith will show itself by endurance in trials. It will show itself by humility and temptation. It will show itself by obedience to the scriptures. In chapter 2, we saw James emphasize true faith will produce loving concern for the needy and without partiality. True faith will show itself by a pattern of good works, growing evidence that we've been transformed by the power of God and salvation. And now James says that new life in Christ will show itself in the way we talk. James is going to emphasize that our tongue, our speech, will tell on our heart. In other words, faith shows itself in the works of a controlled tongue that honors God and honors others. Our words are a big part of our daily life. Do you realize that the average person speaks about eighteen to 25,000 words a day? Somebody calculated that we probably put together a 54-page book every day with our words. You will, if you're a normal person, Spend one-fifth of your life talking. So it makes sense that James would spend as much time as he does bringing attention to our words and our testimony. James is not alone in this. 
we will see other New Testament uh, authors, Old Testament authors, bring strong revelation of God about the reality and the potency of our tongue. When the Apostle Paul characterizes the fallenness of man, describes the wretchedness of a man in, that, in his sinful condition, he says in Romans 3.13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. When Isaiah, wanting to confess to God his utter sinfulness in the midst of a vision of God's holiness, he says in Isaiah 6, verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Potent statement from someone who made their living professionally using their words. Prophet Isaiah. Church, there must be sanctification in the area of our speech if we belong to Christ. It is a true and telling way that our faith is at work. We will spend two weeks on this topic, and I pray that the Holy Spirit does a mighty work to convict, to reveal, and to mobilize us unto real growth and change in this critical area of life and testimony. You pray with me. Father, we come before you today humbled, thankful, and desperate for you. Whether we know it or not, by your sovereign ways, you have brought us to this place where the people of God are exalting the name of God, where the word of God will be preached. I pray, Lord, that you direct my words and even more so, Holy Spirit, to move those words perfectly upon the hearts of every person here. Your words, that this sermon would honor you, would glorify you, and would do your mighty work in this place. For we have not just come to a church house on a Sunday morning, but you, the living God, are in this place, are at work in these lives. May you do a mighty work this day. Give us ears to hear a readiness to repent, and a willingness to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James starts right out the gate to highlight that those who teach carry a high responsibility due to the influence that they exercise on others. Therefore, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If a person takes up the responsibility of teaching, then they are taking on themselves the scrutiny that comes with wielding influence over others with their words. 
James starts here because he is about to talk about the weight and the influence of our words and how it is a real struggle for all of us to fight sin in order to speak words that honor God and speak truth. He starts by saying, as heavy as this area of life is for everyone, it is particularly heavy for those who wield influence over others in teaching. Those who use their words to influence and instruct. This is similar to Jesus' warning in Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Many often perceive those who teach as having a cool or prestigious role. It is seen as a lofty calling and practice. But what this does and can do in the hearts of many is cause them to long to be teachers, people who shouldn't be. There is a right fear and trembling which should come with teaching. The responsibility to wield correct, God-honoring influence on others is not a light one. There is a discipline of life and study and humility that must come with those who teach. If there is not, then arrogance and ego and pride not only lead to the teacher's demise, but also those who are his hearers. It is so easy to sin with our mouths, not only in cursing, but in simply speaking mistruths, thereby leading others astray. This is why James is so strong to say that not many should become teachers. It is a high call for with far-reaching impact and heavy responsibility. This is why the judgment of those who labor to teach is greater. With those who are given such a responsibility, much is required. A few applications of this particular point before we move to verse 2. First, regarding pastors, elders, shepherds of the flock. Different titles, elders, pastors, shepherds, overseer, used throughout the New Testament to describe one office, the office of leader of the local church, leaders, plurality, shepherds. The requirement is that those who would be called pastors, elders, shepherds by God to lead his flock, that they must be able to teach, must be able to rightly divide the word of God. In other words, a well-organized man a successful businessman, a well-liked man who is unfamiliar with the inner workings of the Holy Scriptures and sound doctrine is not to be entrusted with leading the flock. 1 Timothy 3.2, Therefore an overseer, same office as elder, pastor, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. 
Titus 1.9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Not according to how he feels about it. So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Your shepherds must do this. It is not an option. It is a must. Can I ask you to pray for your shepherds and your Bible teachers? I know that many of you do. But it is so critical that you hold us up in prayer. One of the primary reasons why is so that we would never lax to fall into temptation to teach the ways of men or to teach unto the liking of men. That we would never become guilty of teaching what we think you want to hear in order to draw large crowds or to tickle ears. And that our aim in teaching is not the hearers ultimately, but is God. To honor God. To teach His Word faithfully and rightly. That when I write and preach a sermon, or when our teaching teams preparing to deliver their lectures, that our aim, our highest aim, is to honor God. To rightly and faithfully and joyfully speak what He wants and what He will enjoy, not what people want or will enjoy. That God is our aim and our reason and the one we seek to please and honor. If we do this, then the hearers will hear what he wants to be communicated and will be most impacted by and benefited by God's great truths. One of the great deceptions of the modern church is smooth talkers who wield emotional stories and drum all the fleshly buttons but under what? Under experiences that come and go, and often unto things to believe that are just not true. May we point to the one true God. May you be faithful in praying, and even more so, as Hebrews 13 17 says, that you would obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Let me highlight a couple areas of this verse. Um, also brings stern warning and exhortation for any of you who teach in other capacities. Maybe at school or at home, maybe as a part of your work, for you as fathers, husbands, as the head of the home, called to lead and teach your family. I want to remind you, as we move into the rest of this text, that your struggle is not just your everyday words for yourself. But your struggle, hear this, is in the higher responsibility that you carry as teacher and influencer of others with your words. Oh, 
that you would take most seriously the call on your life to instruct others that with your instruction comes careful stewardship of all your words. For they carry with them high influence and an opportunity to either honor God or curse God. To lead others well or to lead them astray. Look with me at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. James makes a critical point here in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. While our faith should produce good God-honoring works, the reality is we all stumble because we all are at war with sin every day and we are needing to mature in faith and in how we live out our faith. Church, we all stumble in the area of our tongue and that is why it is especially important that we who teach are few and are extra mindful of the responsibility we hold and the words we say as they have greater impact and for which we will face greater judgment. I love what James does here in verse 2. In the middle of this letter, the overall letter, it is an important clarity in the middle of his driving message that faith must go to work. It will go to work. It will grow. It will mature. It will produce good works. And if you're like me, all along the way in this sermon series, there's that part of you that says, I get that, and I want that. And that must be the case if I'm truly saved. I get it. But there are still those days and those times when I fail to honor God in word, thought, or deed. There are those days when I stumble for I am not a perfect man or woman. I will not ask for a show of hands. I know you're with me. <laughs> for those of you who have wondered if anyone else is feeling or thinking that, here you go. James chapter 3, verse 2. No man. Let me say this first. God is good and knows what we need and knows who we are and so he has those who he's inspired to write his word to include a verse like this. To remind us that only one was perfect. No man born of the seed of, of man is perfect for they are guilty at their conception. Guilty at conception. Because of the guilt of Adam. David declares this rightly in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is not pointing to the kind of interaction that happened at conception, but the original sin that is present at the conception of a new life. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.12, Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. 
so death spread to all men because all sinned. That we are born, we are conceived spiritually dead. That is the result of the fall of our federal head, Adam. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God the Son, Jesus Christ, took on flesh and lived without sin. The only one so that he could take on our sin and give us his perfect righteousness. He dies in our place. He takes on our wrath and we get his robe of righteousness. We are imputed his perfect record so that we can be adopted into the eternal family of God. Amen? This means we're victorious in Christ. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation or to fall out of our salvation. It is finished in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, if you have not truly confessed your sin before Him and trusted your entire life to Him as Lord, then I pray you do. Oh, I pray God breathes spiritual life into you this morning to give you saving faith that today would be the day that you repent and believe, that you would not leave here condemned in your sin, to not make light the reality of God's wrath on your life if you are apart from Christ. Your presence in church your willingness to study the word of God, to even sing words that would exalt his name, is all for naught without repentance and faith. You must die to yourself and live in Christ or be damned forever. This is the right and just verdict of a holy God on anyone who would stand apart from Christ's perfection in their own sin. Repent and believe in Jesus alone to be saved. For those of us who have repented and trusted our lives to Christ, know that you are victors. We are victors in Him and cannot be undone. Romans 8, 37-39, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what we must know is that while victory and salvation are ours in Christ, our fight against the flesh and against sin of this world are not over until he calls us home to glory. We are victorious in Christ for salvation. This is true. But while he still has you here in this broken world to testify of his holy name, your fight against sin is not done. It is a daily grind. It is 
a daily reality that in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of his word, we would mature. We would not remain infants in faith, but grow and mature in our faith. Make war with our habits of sin, our practices to put those away and be people of the light and testify the goodness of God at work to bring him glory. To live more and more unto God's glory and less and less unto our own This is the journey before us. And this is what James is talking about. That true saving faith will produce not a perfect life, but a life dedicated and motivated to grow in Christ and to make much of Christ and to honor Christ. But we will stumble. What a a gift verse 2 of chapter 3 is for us in the midst of this letter. Why? do we still stumble? Paul answered it well in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul is helping us understand there's an internal battle happening in every one of us who know Jesus. The flesh and the spirit are constantly in conflict. I love you enough to say Christianity is not easy. Don't ever let someone tell you that it is. It is great, but it is not easy. For the life we now live in these mortal bodies is not our prize. It is our privilege to struggle and battle for God's glory. Our prize is life with God. Amen? Our hope in Jesus is a glorified new body in heaven to feast with the King of Kings forever. And in the meantime, we are at war. A Christian is not a person who is perfect with no fleshly desires. A Christian is at war with those desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand today that war within you is a good thing. Conflict in your soul is not all bad. Lean in and and don't miss what I'm about to say. I really want you to hear this. If you have no war within you, it's because the flesh controls the entire dominion of your soul. Praise God for the war within. Serenity in sin is death. If you trust in Jesus, the Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield most days. You may say, Pastor, I'm really struggling lately. And understand, dead men don't struggle, dead in sin. 
that struggle, that war, is a good sign that the Holy Spirit is on board and making war with our flesh. It's good news you are struggling because there's a power at work inside of you that is purging the work of the flesh out of your life. This is James' point. As well as in the middle of this letter here in chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Your faith should not remain idle. Your true faith will go to work. It will produce good God-honoring thoughts and words and actions. This is James' driving message. He loves his hearers well by clarifying that in all this press that faith will produce good works, he's not saying you will be perfect, but that you will grow and mature and honor God. You will overcome sin with repentance and sanctification to not keep returning to that place of sin and living there in practice. That's the key. Is there maturity Yeah, you might have a wreckage of some of these things behind you, but is it behind you? Is it a labor that's happening unto maturity, unto growth, unto fruit? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. One of the greatest battles then of the flesh is with our words. And it's a battle we must fight in the power of the Spirit, to the glory of God, because if we don't, we will do a lot of harm. To give us insight into just how potent and powerful and important our words are, James brings a number of illustrations. Look with me first at this last part of verse 2. For if we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. James is saying that there is a person, that the person who does not stumble with their words is a person who is able to bridle their whole body. In other words, there is a strong influence the tongue has on the person's life and testimony. James dedicates so much of this letter to our speaking, to our words, to the tongue. Some of you are guilty of focusing on the heart, you're focusing on the actions, and you're ignoring what's coming out of your mouth. And it is a critical part of the journey to see real sanctification in our words. And this is not new. Notice with me, James speaks of the tongue in every chapter of this letter. In chapter 1, verse 19 and 26. In chapter 2, verse 12. In chapter 4, verse 11. In chapter 5, verse 12. And you will see today that a large section of chapter 3 is dedicated to this topic of our words. Now, some of you might be thinking, why so much about the tongue, about our words? Isn't it the heart that we should be most concerned with? Isn't it the the inner that either produces good works or sin? And the answer is yes, it is. 
And that is James' point when he says that true faith will produce good works. True faith in who you are in Christ and what you believe will produce itself in God-honoring words. That's his point. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6.45. This means that our words reveal our heart. This is James' reason for so much focus on our words. If we have true faith in God, then that faith will show itself in our words. Our words being a prominent part of our daily works as we've said already. So to help us understand this, James gives us three illustrations. The first in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. To show that if you control the tongue, you control everything, James speaks of a horse. How do you control a horse? You control a horse by controlling his tongue. You put a piece of metal in the horse's mouth and it lays on the tongue. And you put a harness around that and you, and you pull over its head and, and you grab some reins and then you pull on it. And that metal presses in the mouth and the tongue. And by controlling the horse's tongue, you control the horse's movements. You train it. You discipline it. And it begins to affect its whole life and process and production. Without this, a horse will only run wild and might be beautiful for a painting or for a video to watch a horse run wild. But that is all it will be good for. The taming of the horse by the way of the bit is critical or you have an animal that is good for nothing. Let me just prove it this way. Have you, have you ever, ever heard of a horse going out of their way to plow a field on their own will? Shows up and says, hey boss, I've decided to come to plow your field. No. You ever come to know a horse to volunteer to pull a wagon or carry a rider by their own will no why because the horse must be tamed and trained to do that James says that the tongue is so central that it must be tamed and trained as it has an effect on the entire body and life and testimony of the believer So that's why James is saying, if the heart is transformed by saving faith, then the tongue should be the first sign of transformation that you will see in the body. By gaining a greater discipline through the power of the Spirit of your tongue, you direct the whole body. Consider this reality. You can have everything going right in your life in your marriage, in your job, in your body. Everything's performing wonderfully. But if you do not have your tongue in check, it can quickly all be for naught. 
Are you mindful of just how potent and life-altering your words are? Have, have you lost a job because of something you said? Lost an important relationship, created division among the body of Christ, hurt your loved ones because of things you've ever said? James is saying your faith at work must show itself in your words. Sanctification in your words must happen if true faith in Jesus is in our heart. He continues in verse 4 in the first part of verse 5. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Have you ever been on a cruise ship before? They're huge. I mean, you got a picture here to show you. They're massive. You stand near a cruise ship. I mean, as you go to the cruise ship from blocks away, it just starts to overwhelm you. And then when you're standing there looking at you, it's just, it's a city. It's a floating city. They weigh over 200,000 gross tons. Carry over 5,000 people at one time. Bigger than many cities throughout America. And if you go to the captain's bridge, where they control the entire ship, and move this floating city about, you will see a man with his hand on the smallest of little controls that just simply controls the rudder. And with it, he can maneuver the entire city to park it up to the dock without touching it. It's a good thing you can do it that way. <laughs> this is what James is trying to help us see, just how potent and important our words are the redeemed will show maturity with their tongue and therefore impact and have better control over their entire life. How much serious attention have you given to your words or your tongue lately? James gives us a great place of resolve for today. In verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is a small member of the body, but it wields with it great power. That's why it boasts. Because it wields great influence in life and on others. Washington Irving's author from the late 1700s, early 1800s, a quote I like to often use, who said once that the tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. A clarity that I remember writing down 15 years ago, the words we say can and do change lives. 
They launch people into victory or ruin them to failure. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Think of the weight of that statement. But he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A person who just speaks with no bridle, no, no consideration, no restraint, no sanctification will ruin your life. We must see how potent and powerful our words are. Whomever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me was a fool. (laughs) Truly, I have no idea who said that, but it's just foolish. In 20 years of counseling, I have seen more depth of grief and affecting of lives because of the words of people said far beyond acts of physical abuse that have been done to people. And yet we just don't treat it on the same level. Some some of you might be arrogant to say, I've never hit my spouse or my child or my friend. But I ask you, have you abused them with your words? Have you terrorized your home with words that cut and demean and tear down and dishonor our great God? Hear me today. You must see how potent your words are. The tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. Our words can tear people down. They can tear churches down. They can destroy relationships. They can devastate families. They can rip up nations. They lead to war. If you are one who acknowledges today that you have been destructive with your words... You are guilty of being hurtful and cutting with the things you say or joke about. If this describes you, hear me please today. You have to hear God's word today of how potent and powerful your words are and how much they affect. I pray that you are convicted by God, the Holy Spirit, to stop. To stop acting like a child and to bridle your tongue and take a walk or do whatever it takes to not fly the fist of your words, the curses of your words anymore. To confess it as sin to repent and start a new course in light of the gospel of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have on board to fight these works of the flesh and mature in these things. I don't care if your father was the most sailor of sailors with his tongue. Your heavenly father is more powerful than he is. 
the work of the Spirit in your life can change the direction of this part of your life, and it should, is James' point. I pray you heed the words of Paul, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. the power of Jesus, with the help of the brothers and sisters of this church, may we we make serious war on these things. Can I talk to you who quickly have been victim to a parent or a spouse or a boss or anyone who has torn you down with their words? Listen to me. Don't listen to the lies of sinful hearts spewing selfish things. Don't be defined by them. Listen to your Father who loves you and sent His only Son to die in your place. Hear His words and be defined by His love for you. For he has chosen you and adopted you and made you his forever. He has purposed your days and empowered your testimony for his great namesake. So stop living out of your old flesh, the old self, and live out of the new. If you are of faith, then walk by faith which means you don't give credit or credence to the wicked words of sinful people. They do not define you. They're drunk in sin. See them for the lies that they are and believe your Father in heaven. See the selfish agenda and ignore it. Don't internalize it. Forgive them. Hold them accountable if need be. But press on in life. Not captive by their words. But a joyful slave of Christ. Some of you have been a Christian a long time, but you're still living like you're a prisoner of sin and sinful agendas. Look at me. Look at me. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Be free from the chains of sin and from being defined by sinful men. Be alive in Christ and live in the joy and the strength of our Lord. Amen? I want to close this morning reading the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 10. If then 
you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are of earth, for you have died. And if your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hour together to worship, to pray, to study your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our this congregation, and our guests today who, Lord willing, if it is your plan, would become members of this congregation, accountable, known, loved members, that together the body of Christ would link arms in these things and would confess sin and turn unto a new path that honors you would mature in our life and faith and would see the evidence of that faith at work as we focused on today, especially in our words. I thank you, Lord, for the time that you've allowed for me to study and prepare. And I look forward to the second part of really this message next week as we continue to labor through these divine given words to James for us. I pray that we would behold you, that we would worship you, that we would celebrate this wondrous mystery, reveal to many, I pray many more today, saving faith unto life with God forever. Hear us, Lord, as we respond in song and with our days in this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray.